Les Bons Mots, a podcast about language learning by ACA, a language training school based in Quebec, Canada. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Britta Potion Reader, and this week I'm joined once again by my guest host and colleague, Clémence Grisson. In this week's mini-sode, we're going to be answering your questions about pronunciation. Let's get started. The first question that we had is, how do we learn how to make sounds that don't exist in our first language? Clemence, what would you suggest? Well, I think for this, there are two main ideas. And the first one is watch and learn. And I know you have some great tips about this to learn what actually happens in your mouth. Absolutely. One of the resources that I discovered was that, surprisingly or not, Google can help you with this. If you Google how to pronounce and a specific keyword, you'll see a phonetic spelling and also even a mouth, a little graphic of a mouth, which moves and you can watch to see what the lips are doing. Online videos can also be a really great source of, of instruction where you can hear the sounds in isolation and you can get instruction on how to make these individual sounds. One thing I would just recommend that people be careful of is that you look for speakers with a North American pronunciation if you're living in Canada or in the United States, um, because British English can be very different. Same thing with Australian English or any of these sort of different world Englishes. So make sure you pick a, an example that matches the type of accent or the type of pronunciation that you're trying to replicate. I think that's great advice, absolutely, because there definitely are a lot of variations. You know, there's another thing that we like to suggest sometimes as language teachers, and it's not always the most popular suggestion. Do you want to dive into this one? Well, I think the idea, so I said first watch and learn and then listen and repeat. It's very important, of course, to listen to your target language um, as often as possible And one thing that's definitely helpful is to record yourself to be able to see how you pronounce things. Does it sound the same? Are you able to identify what doesn't sound the same? Um, and this may really help you. I have a, a little personal anecdote. Uh, there's a, a legend in my family. When I was a child, I learned this song that's supposed to help me differentiate between different sounds that children usually confuse. And when I recorded it, of course, I was saying everything wrong. But apparently, legend has it that when I listened to the recording, I said, oh, well, the girl is not singing it properly. And after that, I got all of my sounds right. So I'm pretty sure that's not true. But um, there's definitely a lot of merits to the idea of recording yourself, listening to yourself, identifying what you're mispronouncing, and repeat and repeat and repeat. We can do this nowadays very easily with our phone. Another tip is that you could try using a dictation tool. Uh, this would listen to you and transcribe your speech so that you can see exactly what a listener hears when you speak. This could help us to identify words or sounds that are challenging for us personally. It can be difficult otherwise to know that you're not making the correct sound. You might think everything sounds perfect. Yeah, so if Siri can understand you, then you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I would say also, especially when it comes to English, is 
I've mentioned that I have trust issues because of English spelling. Don't trust what you see on paper. Um, and that's where listening is key because often I'll ask students to read uh, um, a paragraph in a text and then sometimes I correct the pronunciation of one word, but they repeat and they repeat the same mistake. And so then I will hide the word and say, no, listen and repeat. And that's usually when they get it right. So I think sometimes moving away from spelling and really focusing on what you hear people say can be extremely helpful. A great source, too, of, of examples and samples of different accents, different speakers, can be a good TV series, for example. It allows you to practice listening to the sounds and rhythm of a language, but because it's often the same actors week in and week out, your ear has more of a chance to get accustomed to their way of speaking. Sometimes in a movie, the movie is finishing just as we're finally starting to get accustomed to everyone's accents and way of speaking. So when we think about training our ear, uh, a great TV show or TV series would be an amazing way to go. And it also gives us a chance we can uh, even practice repeating some of the lines ourselves or some of the sentences ourselves just to help us a little bit with the stress and intonation. I love how as language teachers, we can get away with telling people to watch more TV. Um, <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's one of our greatest privileges. <laughs> oh, but my teacher said I really had to watch more TV. It's, it's for the good of my pronunciation. Exactly. A question that we had about pronunciation when we put this on our Facebook page was, how do we deal with words in a language that are similar except for one key sound? As language teachers, we call these minimal pairs. So an example we talked about last week was beer and bear, where the two beginning and ending sounds are the same, b, er, but the middle is different, ear, beer, versus air, bear, or tree versus three. What would you recommend uh, for dealing with these tricky, tricky words? Well, I think uh, one helpful resource is the little recordings that online dictionaries tend to have so that you can at least hear the words. And so step one would be identifying the difference. So sometimes uh, it's quite subtle, um, but you want to be able to try and perceive the difference. And then I think the, the tip that you gave about watching, how do people pronounce it? What way does the mouth move? Um, can also be helpful in that case, you know, to really be able to break down the pronunciation of that word and the differences between the two words. And again, here our cell phone is so handy because even if we don't have a little mirror in our pocket, we probably have our cell phone and our cell phone has the front facing selfie camera. And we can just put that on and take a little look and see if what we're doing with our mouth is matching what we're seeing people do when they pronounce that sound. And then, of course... We mentioned this last week, but you want to practice words in sentences, not only in isolation, because often it's also uh, in the accumulation of words uh, that we tend maybe to slip up a little bit with our pronunciation. So it's always good to really throw that word that you're practicing into a sentence so that you can play with that as well. Also, when we practice in sentences, we can practice not only the pronunciation of individual sounds, but also where we put the word stress. So when we think about word stress, we're thinking about which 
part of the word is pronounced for a slightly more extended period of time. Some people think about it like a long syllable versus a short syllable. Other people think about it more like music. So a word like develop can be a little bit difficult for uh, French speakers who are learning English. The stress is really strongly on the second syllable. So identifying word stress and practicing word stress can really help us to improve the ability of other people to understand us. It helps make us more understandable and it helps make us sound more natural. But the good thing is, I think, Clemence, that there are some guidelines that people can follow that will help them in learning where to put word stress in English. Exactly. There are some rules that you can follow. And of course, there are some exceptions also. But overall, uh, you do have some general principles. One of them, for example, is that typically when you have a two-syllable word, if it's a noun, uh, it's usually the first syllable that will be stressed. If it's a verb, it's the second syllable that will be stressed. If you look at a word like uh, record, that's the noun, but record that's the verb. So the spelling is the same, but the wh where the stress falls and as a consequence, how the syllables are pronounced differs um, depending on what part of speech the word is. And this idea of the rules or guidelines, maybe we should say guidelines. In English, there aren't too many hard rules. So let's say guidelines for where to stress your words is the focus of our video this week Lauren has created a great video with a few of these tips and tricks for looking at different kinds of words and understanding where to put the stress on those. So please check those out on our website. Clemence, it's time for the phrasal verb of the week. This week, we're talking about take off, a phrasal verb that we use a lot in business contexts. Clemence, when we talk about a phrasal verb, what do we mean? So a phrasal verb is an expression that is made up of a verb with one or more prepositions. And what's important to remember is that you have to look at the whole unit. It's not the meaning of the verb plus the meaning of the preposition. It becomes a whole unit of meaning. Excellent. The phrasal verb take off means to become popular and successful. So for example, we could say the company launched a new online store and sales have really taken off. That means sales have become extremely good. The store has been very popular and very successful. But that's not the only way we use it, is it? No, we can also use it. You might be familiar with it from traveling, right? If you're on an airplane, take off used either as a phrasal verb or as a noun also means that the plane is leaving the ground. For example, the plane took off at three o'clock or the flight attendant told us to prepare for takeoff. There's even one more meaning. Takeoff can also be an informal way to talk about leaving. So at the end of the workday, I might say to my colleague, oh, well, it's 5.30, I'm going to take off. Okay, instead of saying, I'm going to leave and go home now. It gives us a, a more informal way to, to express the same idea. And speaking of taking off, that brings us to the end of this week's mini-sode of Les Bon Mots. If you'd like to learn more about word stress, please check out Lauren's video on this topic at lesbonmots.ca 
We have a lot of great content on our blog as well, where Nathan posts about news, language learning, and culture three times a week. You can also find our show notes and transcripts of every episode there. Do you have any questions or feedback or suggestions for a future episode? We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on the web at lesbonmots.ca, on Facebook at facebook.com slash lesateliers.ca, on Instagram at lesateliers.ca, or you can write to us at lesbonmots at lesateliers.ca. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. This will help other language learners find us. Thanks again and happy practicing.